Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 31. Seems a bit of a moot point, but I say it every week. May as well say it again. This is a weird passage. You should be used to that phrase by now. So, let's dive in to Jacob stealing an idol and running away from Laban. Let's read together. We're going to read the entire chapter. I know it seems long, but you need the whole story, so let's read the whole thing. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped and spotted and molted. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped and spotted and molted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise. And go from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then... Whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. 
When it was told to Laban that on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched his tents in the hill country of Gilead. Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away all my daughters like captives of the sword? And why? Why you flee? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and song and tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you've longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And when he went and he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in a camel saddle and then sat on them. Laban felt about the tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you. For the way of woman is upon me. So he searched, but he did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household gods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it myself. My hand you required, from my hand you required it, whether stolen, By day or stolen by night. There I was by day. The heat consumed me. The cold by night. And my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters. And six years for your flocks. And you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands 
and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. And Laban called it Jager Sedhad Utha. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap, this pillar to me to do me harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned home. <clears throat> this is a weird story. I struggle greatly with this story, and I'll tell you why. The, the greatest struggle I have with this story is understanding why Jacob is blessed so much by God. You just read the story. Jacob lies, cheats his uncle, and runs away. Now, granted, his uncle is a cheat. So we, we tend to pass over this story and go, well, Laban's a liar and a cheat, and so Jacob's just doing... Laban's just getting what's coming to him. <clears throat> Problem with that. Jesus doesn't do that to me. God doesn't do that to me. See, I'm a liar and a cheat. And God uh, doesn't lie and cheat back to me. Indeed, he calls me to a set of righteousness and a set of behavior that takes from the enemy scars. And when somebody smacks me on one cheek, I'm supposed to turn it on the other. And when somebody steals my, my coat, I'm supposed to give them my cloak too. He calls me to a form of, of righteous lifestyle that is obscene and foolish to the world. It's a life of surrender and a life of grace giving. And a life of grace extended to other people. Life that says... That doesn't look at people and say, you're sinning and wrong, but rather looks at people and goes, you're struggling and broken. I am too. How can I help? How can I help you? Um, 
a life that stands and looks at men like Jacob and says, yeah, I'm no better. So when Jacob gets blessed by the Lord, when his wife steals something from her uncle, from her father and his, his uncle, when, when her, his wife Rachel steals this household God and then gets blessed by the Lord, it's difficult for me to take. And when I see people who are so wicked in the world, who get blessed by the Lord, it's hard for me to stand it. When I see people who are crass and rude and self-righteous and, and they, they seem to be successful, that bothers me. And it should. It should bother me. It should bother you too, by the way. Um, politics should bother you. Just throw that out there. Um, it should. Doesn't make sense. It should bother you. But things are getting tense in this story. And Jacob runs away to find some reprieve from this tense situation. So I hope that as we read through this text, you will see some of the same things I did that reminded me of the grace of God and the character of God. So as we read, I want you to note where God shows up. And when he shows up, how he shows up, how he's identified. As we study together, I want to put that in your head at the beginning. We are trying to learn in this story not about a wicked man named Jacob and his family and his family drama. And this is drama. Drama. The man has four wives. It's drama. One wife is enough. Drama in life. Amen. And one man, two women, bad idea. One man, four women, awful idea. So, let's dive in and look here together. First, we've got the setting in verse 3 here. Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's has gained wealth. And Jacob uh, saw that Laban did not regard him with the same favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to your land, to your father's land, and your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, this is the first thing that we need to recognize. God gives a general command to to Jacob. He does not tell him specifically what to do. He tells him, go home. This is the way God often talks to us. Gives you a specific thing, a, a command that is not detailed in its specifics. He tells you to do something, or to go somewhere, or to be something. And then you are to obey and go. And you are to walk the life that you were going to walk. And there is some ambiguity into how that is accomplished. You can be like Jacob and be wicked in your accomplishing of what the Lord has directed you to do. Or you can be like Jesus. And be righteous in your accomplishing of what you need to do. So just a litmus test for you. When you do things that deny the Ten Commandments, even on a small level, you might still be attempting to accomplish what Jesus has told you to do. For example, if you're a man and you have a wife and a child and children and a a family, and you have been told as a man to take care of your family. 
Now, you can do that like Jacob and lie and cheat and try to try to steal, try to bilk systems, try to try to take every advantage for yourself, try to take advantage of other people. Or you can be like Jesus and stand in righteousness and do what is right and do what is good. Both might accomplish the goal of taking care of your family, which is the general maxim God gave you to do. Both might accomplish the goal. One will be faithful to the Lord and rewarded with peace of heart and peace of mind. The other will be tormented and cursed and struggle and painful, even if you accomplish the goal. Jacob here accomplishes the goal, but this is a tormented man. This is a tormented man. So God tells him, return to the land of your kindred. There's this tense situation. So let's put ourselves into the situation. He's been working. He's been prospering. And as he begins to prosper, the people around him and the, the people who are of, the, of Laban's family begin to uh, get in intense relationships with Jacob, saying, Jacob is prospering beyond us now, and we don't like that. We are uncomfortable with him succeeding. This is natural. In the world, when you begin to prosper one way or another, you begin to succeed. The people around you who are not believers, who do not believe in Jesus, or in this case, in this story, Yahweh, who are not followers of Yahweh, they are going to begin to buck against you. Because you are going to become the object of derision. This is why when a Christian expresses that they are at peace with themselves and they have a life that is peaceful and, and filled with grace and they begin to manifest the blessing of Jesus Christ living in them, those who do not have that begin to rail against them. This is why persecution is promised to Christians. Because that's what happens to believers. The world around you will no longer, when they no longer begin to join in your profit, you will begin to lose favor. Jacob lost favor with his brother-in-laws, and he lost favor with his uncle. So the Lord tells him to go. So sometimes um, God communicates very boldly through signs and wonders. Sometimes you'll hear voice. Sometimes you'll see a, a vision. I'm not going to discount that. Indeed, in my own life, there have been times when there have been dreams, and I've gone, oh, Lord, that's what I'm supposed to do. In my own life, there have been times when somebody has come with a word from the Lord, and they have spoken to me, and it has been crystal clear what I'm supposed to do. More often than not, God communicates to us through circumstance. This is, this is the case with Jacob here. He's in a tense circumstance, and God has revealed to him, go home. Go back to the land of your father. God reiterates his promise when he tells Jacob to do this. Look at verse 3. God reiterates his promise. What is the promise? I will be with you. This is the blessing of Abraham. This is the blessing of God. The presence of God in your life. That's the blessing. That's the promise. So here's the setting. Jacob is about to leave. So he knows he's got to get things in order first. And in order to get things in order, he's got to get his wives on board because those women are crazy. He's got 12 kids and 
Those women are always fighting. He's got four wives, by the way. Four. Two of them are not legitimate. They are servants who were given to him as a wife by his other wives. Bizarre. So, verse 4. Jacob sent and called to reach it. <laughs> sent to call Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them. So, first he calls them out to the field. This is important. He's bringing them away from ears. He's calling them away from the ears that could tell on him. This is a shrewd act by a shrewd man who knows he's dealing with a cheat. So he's calling his wives away to have this conversation with both of them present, away from prying eyes and prying ears. Nobody's going to hear or see this conversation. And he begins to talk to them. Now, in times of difficulty, when you have to make decisions, gather around yourself the people who need to help you in that decision and make that decision as a unit alone. This is actually wise. He does not involve his uncle, his brothers-in-law, his, his extended family, servants. He involves his wives alone. He calls them out. And he only involves the two that are actually wise. And he calls them out and asks them. And he says, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but God of my father has been with me. It's important to note the way that he is uh, identifying God. God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me, but God has not permitted him to harm me. Then look again down at verse 9. Look at verse 9. Thus God has taken away the livestock from your father and given them to me. So let's take note of a couple things that he identifies here about God. One, God is Isaac's God. Jacob is still not claiming Yahweh as his own. He is resting on the faith of his father. My father, the God of Isaac, has protected me. Even in not worshiping Yahweh fully yet, he will, by the way, the story doesn't end in 31, he will eventually come to the point where this is his God, but even in, in not recognizing God as, as his, but as Isaac's, he, uh, he still recognizes that the God of Isaac has been with him and has been taking care of him and has been providing for him. He is resting on the promises that were made to his father, even though those promises were given to him. Laban does not favor Jacob, but God is present in verse 5. Laban has cheated Jacob, but God has blessed him in verse 7. Laban has changed and altered the deal with Jacob over and over, but God has remained faithful. So God is present, God is blessing, and God is faithful. Let's remember that as we go through trials and struggles, as we deal with people who are deceptive and wicked, as we deal with this world, as we deal with major life decisions, let's remember that God is present, God blesses His people, and that God is faithful. Remember that His presence is the blessing. His presence is the blessing. So God sees that Jacob is in trouble. 
God has been present. In the book of Genesis, the word see, by the way, is very, very important. When God sees people, is critically important. So God says to Jacob, I have seen what Laban has done. Take heart. God sees your affliction. God sees your struggles. God sees your doubts. He sees your desires. He knows them personally and intimately, and he is a God who is present in the midst of them. God sees Jacob's troubles there in verse 11 through 13. If you'll jump down there, it says, Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. We tell our kids um, pretty often, they'll come and they'll say, did you, did you call me? And we'll say, No. And immediately go, If you hear a voice again, say, Here I am. Your servant listens. <laughs> because we're crazy. And we think that that might actually happen. So, so, you know, God calling them. So we tell them, you know, pay attention to the voice of the Lord. I'll tell you the same thing. Jacob knows enough about God to know the right answer. Jacob, I'm right here. Here I am. This is a statement of supplication. I'm yours is the way that we should say it in English. I'm yours. I'm, I'm here. I'm attentive. I'm yours. What you got for me? I'm, I'm here. This is, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to listen. This is the answer Jacob gives. It's the answer we should all give. So he says, here I am. And then verse um, 12, he said, uh, lift up your eyes and see the goats mate with the flock are striped and spotted and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So remember, we talked about this last week. Jacob was given... The plan by God that God would give him strong flock that would be striped, mottled, and spotted. God had given him that plan in a dream. So when he went to Laban and made that deal, it wasn't made off the top of his head. God did that. That's why the deal seems so bizarre. And remember, we talked about how God likes uh, messed up people. He likes spotted, molted and striped flocks. That's his. He likes people that are broken and that don't look perfect and aren't always pretty. He likes that. He likes broken people. Those are his people. Those are people that need a doctor. Those are the people he goes to. So, God sees Jacob's in trouble and then God reminds Jacob of who he is. There. He says, I, in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and made the vow to me. It's a weird thing for God to do, to have to remind Jacob of who he is. I want to reiterate, Jacob is not in a place in his life yet where he recognizes God. God has to remind him who he is. Hey, I'm the God of Bethel, same one. 20 years ago, when you were on your way to Laban's, I met you by a rock where you went to sleep. I met you there, showed you a ladder that told you that I was down on the earth. I was actively working. I'm that God. So he tells Laban, I'm the God at Bethel. He calls him. So one thing we can draw from this is that just because you don't acknowledge God doesn't mean he's not there. 
Just because you don't see God doesn't mean He's not there. Because you don't acknowledge Him doesn't mean He's not there. He is always present, always working, always active. So the wives then agree with Jacob here in verses 14 uh, through 16 here. They agree with Jacob. They say, uh, is there anything left that our father has? Notice the selfishness of their, of their reasoning. Like, our, our father squandered everything and you have all the wealth now. It's ours. So what, if, what has our father got to give us anymore? So we're going to go with you. Like, that's their reasoning. It's a selfish reason. Now, it's also a practical, pragmatic reason. Just to be clear, if they stay with Laban and Jacob runs away, there goes the blessing. So it's a pragmatic reason as well. This man has the money to take care of us. Laban's a horrible father. He really is a horrible father. Um, if you want evidence, just read the last couple of chapters. Right? He gives both of them away, out of turn. It's awful. So he, they acknowledge, but they acknowledge God here. And they say there's no inheritance here. And then there in verse 16 it says, the, All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. So they recognize that Jacob has all the wealth now, and it's been because of God's hand that that has happened. So we're staying with Jacob. That's what they say. Now, then whatever God has said to do, go do. So Jacob then arises, takes his sons, and he runs. This is the commencing of fleeing. So here in verses 1 through 3, you have the setting. Then in verses 4 through 16, you've got the plan and the plot. Let's get together. Let's go. And Jacob waits until Laban goes off to shear, to shear his sheep. So he's off. This is a big task if you own a lot of property. You are going to spend a long time shearing sheep. So he takes his sheep away to shear them, to get all the wool. And Jacob and Rachel prove themselves to be deceivers Together, look at verse 17 through 21 here. So Jacob arose and his sons and took his sons and his wives and his camels and he drove away his livestock and all his property that he had gained and all the livestock and his possessions that he had acquired in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan, his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep. And Rachel stole her father's household gods. Now, that's almost a passing statement. The author does this pretty often. Puts a passing statement in there that should make you go, oh no. Uh-oh. Because Rachel's stealing of household gods ought to send up red flags in every area of our life. It's sin against God because she's holding on to idols, holding on to things that she's been freed from by God, holding on to what once enslaved her. It's a sin against Laban because she's taking something that doesn't belong to her, belongs to Laban, it's an admission that she still believes those things are effective, even though they're just scraps of wood. What does Isaiah say about them? Your idols are worth nothing but to be burned. They're pointless. What can a scrap of wood tell you? And then he says later, it seems as though your gods are always on the toilet, unable to answer you. It's Isaiah talking about the gods of men. So we have this, this statement here where she takes something that's not hers. And it's immediately followed by Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramaean, or he stole the heart. This is what the word tricked means there. He stole the heart of Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. And he fled. And he runs away. And he crossed the Euphrates. That's his phrase. 
towards the hill country of Gilead. Now, this is the same journey that Abraham took, by the way. It's the same journey in reverse that, that Jacob took out of his father's house when he went to Canaan to be with Laban. He's the same journey, same path, same trip that Abraham took. So, Jacob deceives, Rachel deceives, and Rachel shows evidence that she does not yet worship Yahweh, and she's in the same place as Jacob, acknowledging that God exists, acknowledging that God is a God who does stuff and works things out, and yet still not ready to surrender and worship. This is Rachel and Jacob. This is where they are. So then God intervenes. In verse 22 through 24, Laban gets angry, gathers his men, and charges off, and then God interrupts Laban. This, I think this is great. Countlessly, countless times in Scripture, God does this. Some pagan leader is about to do something, and God shows up in their bedroom when he's going to sleep, or when he's going to do bedroom. Polite way of saying that, there are children in the room. He's going to be in bed. Laban, at night, resting, God shows up. Don't touch Jacob. Don't say anything good or bad. You don't have a, a leg to stand on, Laban. You don't have a leg to stand on. Now, I told you at the beginning, this story bothers me. It bothers me because Jacob is a rat. And I mean that with all tenderness and affection. <laughs> Jacob is a rat. I know a lot of rats. Jacob is one of them. I love a lot of rats. There are some brothers of mine that are rats. I love them. They're horrible people. <laughs> they think they're fine, but they're not. Jacob is a rat. And God intervenes to rescue Jacob. And it bothers me. It bothers me that God redeems this man. And it bothers me because I frequently forget that I, though I don't want to be him, though I don't want anything in common with this rat, I am no better. It bothers me because I forget that. And I forget that Jacob is a rat and so am I. Not so was I. So am I. I am still being sanctified by Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. And the only difference between me and Jacob is that the Holy Spirit is constantly present in my life and I have recognized Jesus as God. Jacob's not there yet. He'll get there. He has to get his hip broken, but he'll get there. You see, this story bothers us when we forget that God has granted grace to us. And here, God intervenes to Laban, and that bothers us because we think, why is God intervening here? Jacob has an idol. His wife just took an idol. Shouldn't God do something here to stop the idol? Jacob's not even claiming God as his. Still saying God is the God of Isaac. God just came and said, I'm the one at Bethel that took you, Jacob. You're mine. And Jacob is still like, well, my God of my father. Still doesn't get it. it. Bothers me. 
then I'm reminded that I'm the same. The difference is I have the Holy Spirit living inside me to direct my steps. And He has transformed my heart. Jacob's not there yet. Sometimes we see these things happen where a person who behaves wickedly is blessed by God, whether it's financially or uh, in peacefulness or in um, status or whatever or a job. Somebody who behaves wickedly is suddenly blessed by God and it's, it's miraculous. Like you see it and you go, well, that couldn't have happened any other way. And we, you know, I've even prayed for people and seen them been, be rescued and then like Jonah, I stand on a hill going, why didn't you burn them to bits? And God says, well, because I rescued them, just like I did you. Often we see these things happen, and it's important to remind ourselves that God is working where you don't think he is. In the heart of that person that is so calloused and, and hateful, God is working. In the heart of that person who seems to be so far from the Lord, God is working. In the place where you have seen no victory, God is working. In the place where you have not been able to see blessing, God is working. Indeed, God is working constantly. God often is working where you don't see. He often deals with other people without telling you. I've met people who at one point in their life were horrible rats, like Jacob, and they have been rats. And then time goes by, and I've prayed, and we've worked together, and we've seen things, and I don't think anything has happened in their life. And then one day, they prove to be someone totally different than what I thought. You see, God is working in the lives of people, and he does not have to tell you that he is working in those lives. He does not have to tell you that he is working. God does not report to you. Indeed, here God does not report to Jacob. Don't worry, Jacob, I'm going to handle Laban. He doesn't. He just handles it. This happens over and over. It happens with Sihon, the king of Heshbon. Right? It happens with Abimelech. It happens with Pharaoh. Don't worry. God is working where you don't see. God is working where you don't see. Now then, Laban and Jacob have an altercation, and I wish we had time to pick apart all the psychological nuances to this altercation. Jacob is a master at handling a deceiver. He is brilliant at handling a deceiver. Laban comes and challenges him, and Jacob ignores the emotional appeals and tells him, matter-of-factly, why he left. I left because I know you. You were going to steal your daughters back by the sword if I stuck around. But he does it politely. I was afraid, so I acted this way. And then he ignores the accusations of, of stealing his daughters. He doesn't even acknowledge that. And he answers him, what gods did I take? Go look for them. And, and Laban goes to look. And now we have God's answer to when we hold on to idols. So Rachel has held on to this idol. She's kept it and she has decided this is mine. I'm going to keep this idol. It, she believes that there's some intrinsic power. So there's one of three things that she's doing. One, she's taking it for nostalgic purposes. It was her daddy's household god. So she grew up worshiping it. So she's kept it. 
That's one. That could be. Two, she's taking it because it's valuable and it's pretty and she thinks she can keep it and it's something valuable to have. Or three, she's taking it so Laban can't consult his gods and figure out their plan. One of those three things, all of them are bad. So, if you were looking for an excuse for Rachel taking the gods, none of those work. All of them are bad because the first one then means that she's still worshiping idols. The second one means that she prizes the idols more than the gifts that God has given. And the third one means that she believes that blocks of wood are greater than Yahweh, who told her to go. So either one of the three, you want to pick either three, any three of those, all three are bad. Rachel taking the idols is a bad thing. She takes them, Laban looks all around, and then she comes to Rachel's tent here in verse 34. Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in a camel saddle and sat on them. So, these are idols. I don't know if you've ever dealt with idols, but you don't put idols in bags. That's kind of a big no-no in the, in the, middle, in the middle East in particular. You don't put idols in bags. They don't go in bags. They go in special cases. If you are going to transport an idol, it goes in a special honored case, a box. So she puts it in a bag. That's the first thing. Then she sits on it. This is blasphemy against the idols. She sits on it in order to hide her sin, in order to hide her wickedness. She sits on it. Sits on this, this thing that she reveres. Sits on this thing that she reveres. And then in the next verse, we find out that she might have been lying, but she's in her time of the month. The way of woman is upon her. So not only is she sitting on an idol, she is making it gross. I don't know how to say this. Making the idol gross and disgusting, so you have to throw it away. Desecrating. Thank you very much. She's desecrating it, so you have to throw it away. So, there's a lesson to be learned here. When we try to hold on to wicked practices, and when we give things that are wicked priority in life, God will find a way to desecrate those things by our hands. Rachel attempts to honor and revere these idols, and hide them and keep them. And God shows up, and using her own wicked behavior, causes this idol to be desecrated, smashed. So Christian, if you are harboring sin or wickedness or an idol that you thought would bring you pleasure in your life, understand that God is going to use your own hand to desecrate that idol. It will bring you no joy and no peace, and it will bring you only folly. So Rachel desecrates her gods. I don't know if she lied to her father or if it is her time of the month, whatever, but she, he leaves, and Jacob becomes angry and berates Laban, rightly so, because Jacob is in ignorance and doesn't know that Laban was telling the truth. So in his ignorance, he stands up for his family. We haven't stolen anything from you. Get out of here, wasting my time. And then 
Laban makes a covenant with him. Now, Rachel defies the gods, defiles the gods, and God is exalted in this passage. But look at verse 42. Isaac, I mean Jacob responding to Laban, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Finally, Jacob tells Laban, my God is greater than yours. My God is greater than yours. So I want to conclude by recognizing this reality that God takes the wickedness of Jacob, the behavior of Jacob that is wicked. Remember, he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He has been this way the whole time. None of this is new. Takes the wickedness of Jacob and exalts the glory, power, and honor of God. What we see in this text is that God is greater than prophet of sheep. God is greater than bosses and managers and tyrants in Laban. God is greater than broken men like Jacob. God is greater than the idols of this world like what Rachel stole. God is greater and keeps his promises not because men are good, but because God is good. So listen, if you are struggling with the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is this morning, recognize that he is always faithful. So faithful that we saw in this covenant here at the end, God witnesses between Laban and Jacob. God stands as witness between Laban and Jacob. And God is surely the one directing their steps, even in their wickedness. God will direct yours as well. Only surrender your steps. I would ask you, just by way of application this morning, is there anything in your way of worship? Is there any sin or activity or idol that you have tried to hide? Any lying or deceiving that you have tried to do that is in your way of worship? Because God is present and here. He has not left. He is always faithful. And if you are hindered in your ability to see, hear, or know God, there might be something that you have placed in the way. Because certainly Rachel does not recognize God yet. And Jacob does not recognize God yet. But he will, because God is always present and active.